You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, February 27th, the year of our Lord 2022, jam-packed high atop a festive and sunny for a change downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Happy to have you alongside. Got a lot of interesting things happening in the world of, well, streaming entertainment tonight that a lot of us are jacked up for. But this is wall-to-wall college football. It's very quiet, if you haven't noticed, around the SEC. A lot of you think that's a good thing. Nope, that means disaster's probably right around the corner. We're going to talk about that to lead the show off in just a second. A lot of you want balance in college football, too. And everyone's screaming every which way but up about a theory as to how we can achieve that fabled balance, that competitive balance, even though we've never had it in the history of the sport. People think in typical unicorn fashion, it's over there, just around the corner. Well, to some extent, you may be right, just for the wrong reasons. I will detail momentarily. Paying players. Got a question about this in the old late kick inbox. And I'm going to go down a road that I don't typically like going down tonight. Only because I don't like what the truth is. It's not convenient for my argument. But in the interest of full disclosure, I will give you the real, give you the behind the curtain on why paying the players has a lot of people both right and wrong in the same conversation. All that plus the Oregon Mood Tracker. The Mood Tracker series continues tonight on late kick. And we will, hey, we'll start spring. In, well, now, if you're Missouri, and in a few weeks all across the country. So very, very interesting times in the mood tracker, and we're going to continue to do that as we churn our way on through spring. Uh, the Twitter Spaces idea is a go. Just stay tuned. That's all I can tell you. At Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following on the social platforms. Stay tuned. You know, I used to do something down in Columbus, and I'm going to bring it back. I don't ever know why we stopped doing it, but it's just simple shout outs. I had someone DM me the other day. I think it was yesterday, and say, hey, I live in Salisbury, Maryland, but they don't live in Salisbury. That's the way I would pronounce it. The locals pronounce it Salisbury. Now, I don't believe in that any more than I believe syrup should be pronounced syrup, but it's not my town. It's your town. So Jesse, Colin, they are watching us tonight in Salisbury, Maryland, and they're watching us tonight also in Rexburg, Idaho. I think it's a first for us to hear from Rexburg. Now, you know, we have a heavy contingent of viewers in Pocatello and Pocatella, but we have never heard from Rexburg. So thank you so much. Wherever you're tuned in tonight, Sunrise, Florida, we heard from you guys as well. Thank you for being tuned in. We're giving shout outs. We're giving geographical shout outs on the show from now on. I don't ever know why I got away from that. So look, let's dive into this. We need to have a nice, honest, open forum here to start the show tonight about approval ratings, but not presidential. We don't delve into the political world here. I want to talk to you tonight for just a few minutes about SEC coaching approval ratings because we have something very unprecedented in nature happening. A lot of people are happy in the SEC right now. There's, there's almost a suspicious level of happiness around the conference. There's no hot seat lists. You know, there's no do or die season coming up for anyone not named Brian Harson. And even with Brian Harson, when they label it a possible do or die season, it's not for the classical reasons. It's not because he's four or five years in and he's been given all the rope and he hasn't gotten it done. So, hey, it's time. You know, it's time. Show us or we're moving on. 
Where is it? It's just never the case in the SEC. It, it's the most rabid. Um, it, it's, it's the most. It, it's usually the shortest tenure on average that a coach could have. And yet there's none of it around the conference right now. But as you have learned, along with me, if you've watched this conference for any length of time, happiness today usually equals chaos tomorrow. And so right now, there is a lot of happiness around the SEC. I want to discuss, though, just how unprecedented this whole situation is. There are 14 jobs in the SEC. There are 14 programs right now. And I was thinking to myself when we were talking about Brian Harson the other day, I kind of mentioned it on the show, but I wanted to circle back around to it. I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking hey, outside of Harson, where's the next lowest approval rating? In fact, uh, about two or three hours ago, I asked you guys this. I said, next to Brian Harson, where's the next lowest approval rating? Uh, and I asked on Twitter and I had, I mean, I had some folks saying Jimbo Fisher, just to give you an idea. I don't agree with that. But even if for the sake of argument, we do agree with that, that's how wide the gap is between Brian Harson, who would be your 14th highest approval rating right now, and whoever number 13 is. I would make the argument, and we're about to dive into it and do our little forensic analysis, you and I, but I would argue outside of Harson, everyone else not only has an approval rating above 50%, probably a super majority approval rating. They're probably above 60%. Think about this. Let's start in the SEC East. Let's just rattle through these right quick. Kirby Smart just won the national championship like 10 minutes ago. Uh, Kirby Smart is right there with guys like Nick Saban as not only having one of the highest overall approving, approval ratings in the conference, but probably in the country. I don't know what in the world Kirby Smart would have to do at this point to anger people in Georgia. So not only did they just win a title, but it wasn't any kind of fluke thing. It's been an accumulation of acquiring high-level recruiting classes for several years. He is of Georgia. So there's not much that needs to be said here. Kirby Smart is well into the 90% approval rating territory, which is lofty. Even when you win a title, that's pretty lofty. What about Mark Stoops? I was talking with producer Jesse before the show, and of course you've got Smart and Saban we'll talk about in a second, but outside of those two guys, maybe the most secure coach in the entire SEC could be Mark Stoops at Kentucky. A lot of folks in the coaching industry think Mark Stoops has the best job pound for pound in America because he gets paid SEC money, but yet the sky-high expectation level of double-digit win average per year or you're fired does not exist in Lexington, Kentucky. And so Mark Stoops is hanging out there, and he's got Kentucky relevant on the national radar. They recruit very well, in fact, exceedingly well, uh, judging by what historically you've been able to do at Kentucky. So Mark Stoops, easily in the, the 80th percentile when it comes to approval rating. He's sky-high, too. Then we get into some newcomers. Two years in, the next two guys, really. Josh Heupel at Tennessee. All I can go off of so far is what we have. And last year, there was a lot of unknown. And to be honest, there's still a lot of unknown. But think about being a Tennessee fan, because we're talking about the fan base here. What they look at is they look at a disaster situation that was left behind. They looked at a very unenviable position because there was an ongoing NCAA investigation. Still is, for the record. And they found not only a head coach, but a head coach and athletic director combo that wanted to come to Knoxville. And so we've got Danny White there, formerly known as Mike White on this program. Danny White there. And then we've also got Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel exceeded expectations last year. Josh Heupel had a mess on his hands in terms of roster in the spring. Remember where we were, if you're Tennessee this time last year? And he made the best out of a horrible situation. And they won, what, I think seven games? Almost won a bowl game. So point being, he overachieved relative to expectation in year one. 
which means he's probably got a sky high approval rating too. I don't know the exact number I would put on it. I would put it above 70%. And anybody who's not approving of the job he's done at Tennessee so far is not disapproving. They're just, they're, they're out to lunch. They, they're of the remains to be seen category. So Josh Heupel, clearly above 60%. What about Shane Beamer? Shane Beamer's at South Carolina, exact same situation. I would argue even more emphatic than what Josh Heupel did. Shane Beamer came in and their over-under win total was four, four and a half, depending on where you look. And they exceeded that above and beyond. They also ended up winning their bowl game. They beat North Carolina. And you just think about being in the preseason last year and anyone telling you they're going to beat Florida in year one. They're going to beat Auburn in year one. They're going to beat North Carolina. North Carolina was a dark horse playoff contender in preseason magazine land this time last year. And they got all three of those wins under their belt in year one. Not only that, but then you start getting into the bowl season and then you get in January and they make a couple of big moves in the transfer portal. He's already one of them. He was the fan choice there. So you have built in a higher approval rating right off the bat than you normally would if an outsider would have come in and had to win the fan base over. Shane Beamer's got one of the higher approval ratings in the conference. I'm looking. So far, we've gone through four guys. We don't have anyone even remotely close to being below 60%. This next guy is probably one of the closest that we'll see come to that 60% threshold. And it's at Missouri. It's Eli Drinkwitz. Now, Eli Drinkwitz has been there a couple of years. Uh, I think they've had a five-win season, six-win season. Remember, one of those was the COVID year, so the record's all out of whack. You know what they just did, though? For anyone who argues this is probably the guy, he's probably on thin ice with hot blades, he just landed the 14th recruiting class in the country at Missouri. Now, you didn't hear a whole lot about it. Well, you did if you watched our show on signing day. You haven't heard a whole lot about it nationally because they're in the SEC, and you know finishing 14th means finishing like middle of the pack in the SEC, but that's one of the best classes we've ever seen Missouri have. And so he's got some people buying in. He's got kids buying in. Um, the fan base is more than pleased, at least to a supermajority level. They're more than pleased with where they are. So it's not Drinkwitz. He's not below 60%. Billy Napier just got to Florida. And he's already won over a lot of people by doing the bare minimum in terms of living arrangements and nutrition and parking tickets. A lot of people are excited about the staff he's put together, so it's certainly not Billy Napier. Clark Lee is the other guy that probably you would arrive at. In fact, I had someone, or I had a few people when I put this on Twitter earlier today say, well, my guess for the lowest approval ratings in the conference is Harson and whoever the coach at Vanderbilt is. Half of you didn't even know who it was. What's Clark Lee? I can safely, I can safely confirm to you, if this is the answer, it's not because he's below 60%. Not only did they just have their first year there, so you really had no time to accurately judge Clark Lee, but if you do want to judge him, this is the most incredible secret stat from signing day. Everyone's focused on these big classes that Georgia and Alabama are bringing in. We just talked about uh, programs like even Missouri finishing top 15. Do you know Vanderbilt finished with the 32nd ranked recruiting class in America? In America, 32nd ranked recruiting class. It's phenomenal. I, a lot of people think that that's impossible to be done at Vanderbilt. Well, it wasn't. This past cycle, at least, it wasn't. I would counter with anyone who thinks Clark Lee is the answer here. What more could he possibly have done so far? You've got to measure this relative to what you have. There's a lot of context that has to be included here. 
So, I mean, they, they just performed not even a minor miracle, just an outright miracle. This is, um, this is a division where no one's even close. No coach is even close to below 60% approval rating. So then you hop over the Chattahoochee River and you go to the West. You start in the obvious position, in the pole position there. Nick Saban and Alabama, highest approval rating probably in the country. So we don't even waste a whole lot of time on Nick Saban. Probably one of the only times you'll hear me say that on the show. Lane Kiffin, though, Jesse put this order together. He says it's, um, what was it, order of finish last year, Jesse? So Lane Kiffin in the second position here. Lane Kiffin just won double-digit games. Uh, They just put together a completely overhauled roster via the transfer portal. You know what that signifies, by the way, to a fan base? That signifies we've got a guy who is able to sell our community and sell our university. It's one thing if you're getting it done in recruiting, because sometimes that means you're bringing in a lot of in-state kids, you know, from Hattiesburg or Tupelo or or Philadelphia, because yes, friends, there is a Philadelphia, Mississippi. And you're bringing in kids, you know, this is an anecdotal argument, but sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, those kids were never leaving Mississippi. Okay. It's not always true, but I'll grant you that. Okay. Well, the kids he's bringing in via the transfer portal are not native Mississippians. And so that is the emphasis. That's the focal point there for Lane Kiffin to say, I'm able to sell Ole Miss nationally. And he is. He's right about that. Uh, Lane Kiffin has a very high approval rating right now. Also, Lane Kiffin uniquely fits Ole Miss. It's, it's a culture thing. He fits Ole Miss. So not even close to being below 60% there. Sam Pittman, Arkansas, I don't think we need to waste a whole lot of time there either. It wouldn't be a waste. But when we're talking about approval ratings below 60%, no, we, we could talk about one above 90% because Sam Pittman's up there in Mark Stoops, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban territory, I challenge anyone, go across the entire state of Arkansas, I challenge anyone, find someone who is a true Razorback fan, not like a closet Arkansas State fan who's just posing, find me a true Arkansas fan who is speaking ill of Sam Pittman right now. I don't know, what, what would the ammunition be? I have no clue. I think they had a great year last year, and certainly he is also kind of ditto in that category of proving that he can sell Arkansas. Then we get to Texas A&M. Now, this is where I had the most interesting bits of feedback on this entire, not a poll, but on this entire question about which coach would have the second lowest approval rating. Because some people went with Jimbo Fisher and their simple argument was, so far, relative to the talent roster he has there, he has not achieved at the highest of high levels. I'll grant you that. Now, I'm not here to defend Jimbo Fisher, but the counter And the reason I don't think he's anywhere, he's not even below 70%, much less 60%, is because of what they're doing now and also the entire new feel around the program. Even if you did feel like that coming out of last year, even if you did feel like that, what they just did in recruiting and what it seems they're going to continue doing in recruiting, I mean, it's like you you turn a whole new page. It's a whole new chapter, not just a page of the future of Texas A&M football. Texas A&M is resonating on the national level right now in recruiting more so than they ever have, at least in the modern era. And I would argue, although it's a short sample size right now, I'll grant you that, I would argue just ever, period. Hadn't really seen them do what they just did in this last class. Now it's up to them to make it continue, but uh, no one, no one that I've spoken to at least in and around Texas A&M saying, well, yeah, we're getting all the talent, but ultimately Jimbo's not going to be the guy. No one thinks that. No one thinks that around Texas A&M. So that would not be my answer. So we continue our search. Is it Mike Leach? Might Mike Leach or may Mike Leach have the second lowest approval rating? Uh, maybe because it's all relative, but Mike Leach just went seven and six in his, what, second year, I believe, at um, Mississippi State. 
And they also went on the road and beat Texas A&M last year. And they went on the road and beat Auburn last year. And those sorts of things are really, really big deals. Those are huge feathers in the cap of the head coach at Mississippi State. This dude's parked in the middle of the toughest division in the toughest conference in America. Now, Jesse made an interesting point when we were tossing around these names earlier. He said, you know what I actually think? I actually think because of his persona, Mike Leach may have a higher approval rating nationally even than he does around Mississippi State. And while I don't think he's got a low approval rating in Starkville, I actually think that's probably true. A lot of people just kind of, they, 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 are, they gravitate to Mike Leach when he's around a microphone. It, whether you like him or, or not, don't like him as much, you're going to shut up and listen to what he says at the very least. So Mike Leach is not below 60%. Brian Kelly just got to LSU. So Brian Kelly, certainly not below 60%. We've gone through 13 names. There's only one guy left, and you know who it is. And that is Auburn head coach for the moment, Brian Harson. And we saw what just happened in year one. It started off fairly strong. I think they had a good showing, even in games they lost, like the one, for example, against Penn State. Uh, they played, you know, really tough-nosed football against the likes of LSU. Uh, they went to Arkansas and won, which is not easy to do last year. But they sputtered down the stretch. Things could be totally different. The entire context could change if they had beaten Alabama, which it was on the table for them to do, and they let it. They let it slip through their fingertips, but Brian Harson would probably be, well, he's easily the lowest approval rating. The guy's one year in, so we really don't have a clue what we have in Brian Harson yet. Of course, the biggest fear around Auburn, and if you're just kind of anecdotally rooting for the guy, is your biggest fear is he's not going to get a chance to play with a full deck of cards down there because he's kind of hamstrung by um, administrative forces, shall we say, and maybe external forces, not administrative but where could it all go sideways? Because if you've watched SEC football for a long time, this never is the case, first off. And anytime it is the case that you look around and say, huh, not many guys in the hot seat around here, you're always about one season away from half the conference being on red alert. And so where could it go wrong? Well, of course, the first thing that could happen is you could have scandal, but no one can predict scandal. So outside of scandal, where could it go wrong? Well, you could have total cliff dives. You know, if Clark Lee and Vanderbilt don't ever get past a, a two or three win plateau, or uh, let's say at a place like Mississippi State, let's say they are competitive, but they just can't put enough wins on the board and they keep having to play who they have to play every year. And so you finish four and eight a couple of years. I mean, that could be something you watch out for. I would also think now that we go back to Texas A&M, if Jimbo Fisher had another eight and four year this year, how would that be received? It's not that he would be on a hot seat necessarily, but it would start a few more folks chattering behind the scenes about whether we have the right staff in place here to take advantage of all this talent. And these are all hypotheticals. I'm asking, where could it go wrong? Uh, it's not going to go wrong at Bama. It's not going to go wrong at Georgia. I think South Carolina and Tennessee if they had disappointing sophomore seasons, and I'm talking about maybe even missing a bowl game, they had disappointing sophomore seasons, five and seven type seasons after promising debuts, that could be where you start hearing some chatter going into 2023. I don't know where it's going to come from. And most of the time when coaches end up getting themselves in hot water and you track it backwards, it normally wasn't all that easy to see coming. I mean, Ed Orgeron won a national championship in 2019 while that confetti was raining down. Was anyone saying, enjoy it, Ed, you're gone next year. 
No, not even the detractors were that forceful in describing the future of Ed Orgeron. I don't know where it's going to come from. I just know in this conference particularly, there is no way that you can maintain this much tranquility. There is a sea of tranquility, but it's on the moon. It's not in the SEC. In the SEC, when there's a lot of happiness, it usually precedes wailing and gnashing of teeth. I guess that's good for our show, but for some fan bases out there, there's a lot of confidence right now, and it's faux confidence. Faux with an X. There are tough roads ahead. I've got a piece of paper in front of me right now. And uh, Colin, can you go to my one shot for just a second? And if you're listening on podcast, ignore all this because it's going to mean nothing to you. That is the Academy ad read for tonight. Now, it says Academy at the top of the sheet. There is a, it's as good as I can do it, drawing a picture of a tornado. And there are the words Jesse, gloves, and the acronym SMH for shake my head. How does that turn into an ad read? Well, yesterday, one of you went on Twitter and you said, look what I found at, I think, a flea market. And you tagged me in it. And it was a picture of the Twister soundtrack. One of the most underrated soundtracks. In fact, I'll just say it. The most underrated soundtrack in the history of major American cinema. Great. Wall-to-wall greatness. Go buy it, please. But they're not uh, paying me to say that. But Academy is, in fact, fully financing our show. And so what I had one of you say, because you guys are so in tune with the show, is, you know, Storm Chasing, which is a big hobby of mine, getting geared up for the spring right now, said, one of you said, you know what's great about Storm Chasing? And what would fit on Late Kick tomorrow is everything you need for Storm Chasing, you know where you can find it? You can find it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. I did not plant that in your head. You just instinctively said that to me. Makes me proud. Because that means the work that we're doing around this time, every Sunday night and Thursday night is working. But the more I thought about it, you were right. And so, yes, certainly everything you need for t-ball practice and everything you need for maybe softball practice or soccer or everything that you're about to do in the spring. I'm going to buy a bike at some point from Academy. Yes, that's available at Academy. But man, if you weren't dead on the money accurate, everything I need for storm chasing there is too. But what does that have to do with Jesse and SMH? Well, I started running down the list of things that we need for storm chasing. And I'm just casually rattling off everything that's normally in my go bag. And I mentioned gloves. And Jesse looks at me like a confused baby seal and says, what do you need gloves for? Gloves and storm chasing, what are you talking about? And I said, Jesse, how many search and rescue operations have you ever been in? And he said, none. He was the shruggy emoji. Gloves are imperative. Second only to shoes and headgear. Gloves are imperative. A lot of broken glass, a lot of darkness. A lot of really, really unfamiliar places geographically. Gloves, imperative. Hey, you got them in abundance at Academy Sports and Outdoors. So I don't know what you're planning to do this spring. I'm telling you what I'm planning to do. But I'm also saying in the next sentence, no matter what you are planning to do, in all likelihood, especially if it has to do with the outdoors, Academy Sports and Outdoors has you hooked up in every way imaginable. And they have us hooked up every week, and we thank them for that. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. We had, we had an interesting couple of weeks that just went by with the college football playoff and all that. And I didn't want to do another playoff segment tonight directly. But you remember, what was it, about a week ago, we were doing a segment about the playoff. And I was sharing my thoughts and we were reacting to the playoff news that it's not going to expand until 2025 or 6 or whenever it is. And what I tried to do is I tried to show you there's a lot more common ground here. But then the other thing I wanted to emphasize to you is a lot of people want the playoff expanded because they're searching for something else. They don't just want to look at a bigger bracket because it looks pretty. You're wanting to expand the playoff because it's a means to an end. You're trying to get to a final destination in college football. And so, Colin, here's a better endpoint for you. So with that in mind, I decided to talk about this on tonight's show. There are a lot of complaints about college football. Obviously, a lot of you want to expand the playoff and people are upset with how targeting is enforced, yours truly included. But What's the number one complaint? If you guys were to stop and think for a second, maybe you, have, maybe you make this complaint, but at the very least, you hear this complaint right along with me. What is the number one complaint that most folks have about college football right now? It probably sounds something like this. I'm tired of the same teams winning all the time. I'm tired of there being the same three or four teams with a chokehold on the sport, and it seems that there's a glass ceiling on 95% of these programs, and they just can't break through. I would give you counterpoints to back up that that may not be entirely true, but I understand the larger argument there. The larger argument is true. There are a few programs that stand out above the rest. Kind of has always been that way, but I will grant you, over the past several years, it's really, really stood out. It's really been emphasized. That is one of the most popular arguments around the college football water cooler. Ironically, it also coincides with one of the least understood things in college football. And that is how to solve that problem. How do you achieve the balance that everyone so desperately longs for in college football? Well, a lot of folks think, like we just talked about, like we've talked about for a long time, a lot of people think that that change comes through an expanded playoff. The thinking out there, which I do not agree with at all, but the thinking out there is you expand the playoff, therefore more teams make the playoff every year. Therefore, by default, some teams are going to make it in for the first time every year. Therefore, those teams and programs are going to be able to go out on the recruiting trail and they're going to be able to sell to student athletes. This is a place now where you have a chance to play for a national championship. Whereas in the past, you didn't. Now, I can tell you, I think the impact will be negligible. I don't think it will have a dime's worth of an impact. And it certainly will have fractionally the impact that a lot of people expect that to. I say this based on interaction with actual high school recruits. They don't talk about that stuff. Fans do. Media folks do. The players don't talk about it. They don't talk about them going to a college program because I'll have access to the playoff. In fact, they don't even talk about winning a championship being at the forefront of their decision making. They do want to be in a position to compete at the highest level. They do want that. They want to be developed and they want to play in the NFL. That's what they want. And that's not really going to change even if you have a 64-team playoff. But since everyone wants to talk about the expanded playoff, then the next sentence is, oh, and by the way, when you expand the playoff and more, more teams make it in the playoff, 
Well then, slowly but surely, we'll infuse a little more parity and a little more balance in the recruiting rankings. It won't happen that way. I'm very confident in saying that. But I am here to tell you it doesn't have to be that way anyway. Because it's not like I'm telling you that and then in the next sentence saying, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. There is no alternative. There is an alternative. There's one that actually makes sense. There is a very tangible, uh, very theoretically achievable alternative out there that actually could produce all the results you're looking for. You don't even have to mess with the playoff. Do whatever you want to with it. You don't have to mess with the playoff, though. There could already be some factors in play. And so I wanted to tell you where those could come from. They come from recruiting. That's the name of the game. Always has been. Always will be. Talent acquisition. And it doesn't change because the playoff format changed. Any more than running a lawnmower over a weed stops the weed from growing. The weed just grows back. If you want to kill a weed, obviously you got to attack it by the root. Well, there's a big problem, at least for those of you who want a lot more balance in this sport. There's been a big problem over the last several years in this, in this country when it comes to college football. And it stems from places like California and Texas and Florida where there is an abundance, just a wealth of talent that has not stayed home. In fact, it is left home and gone to a few places like Tuscaloosa and Clemson and Columbus, Ohio, to a, such a disproportionate degree that those programs have won national championships in some cases because of taking your talent. But that just sounds broad. That's overarching. Here's our word of the year so far, anecdotal. That could be anecdotal in nature. Well, it's not. So. What I had our production executives do today, and boy did they ever do it, I said, let's just look at all the four and five star talent from those three states over the past eight years, and let's illustrate exactly how big this talent drain has been. Because I'm going to summarize all this with a very simple conclusion in a second that will give you the balance that you're looking for in college football. Colin, let's start in California. The state of California. 2015 to 2022 in recruiting, 39.7% of four and five star players remained in the state, meaning over 60% of the four and five star players left the state. In 2020 alone, Bryce Young went to Alabama, DJ Uyangalale goes to Clemson, CJ Stroud goes to Ohio State, which are the three poster children as far as I'm concerned for uh, the programs that have raided all three of these areas to a very, very high degree. Those were three of the top quarterbacks in America. If I change even one of those, think about how different things seem right now. Now, there's a change that's happened in California just in the last month or two, and that's at head coach at Southern Cal. So yes, is there some hope to be had here? Sure there is. We'll talk about that in just a second. But think about that. Under 40% of the in-state talent, four and five star in variety, has stayed home in California. Let's go to Texas. What about the Lone Star State? I would argue Texas has not been nearly as big a culprit here as the other two. But state of Texas, 2022, going all the way back to 2015, 52.3% of four and five star players have stayed home. 47.7% have left. Now look, Jimbo Fisher's had a lot to do with this. Tom Herman had a lot to do with this. Even though Texas didn't capitalize on the talent, they kept a lot of the talent home. Texas has kept more than half of their in-state four and five stars home the past eight years. But think about the names and think about the impact these names have had. Jalen Waddell, for example, even in a good year otherwise for Texas, one of the biggest impact offensive players in America, top 10 NFL draft pick, goes to Alabama. Ohio State's loaded up 
off the state of Texas. J.K. Dobbins, uh, Jeff Okuda, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, all those guys go to Ohio State from the state of Texas like a little pipeline has been built. It's not over. In fact, it gets a whole lot worse when we get down to the Sunshine State. I love visiting the state of Florida. Been down there a lot recently, but woo, Florida. State of Florida, 2015 to 2022, 40.1% of in-state four- and five-star players have stayed home. Nearly 60%, nearly six out of every 10 four- and five-star players in the state of Florida have left the state of Florida. Famously, Alabama beat Ohio State a couple of years ago in a national championship game in which every member of Alabama secondary was from the state of Florida. Here are some guys who don't play defense who have left Florida to go to Alabama. You've probably heard of some of them. Amari Cooper's one of them. Calvin Ridley's one of them. Jerry Judy's one of them. Alex Leatherwood's one of them. And then you got the guys like Pat Sertan and Jordan Badlin, Josh Job. Uh, there was a guy named Derrick Henry that chose to leave the state of Florida to go to Alabama. They have won championships. They have done no less than win championships off the back of the talent that they have taken from the state like Florida. And they've gone into Texas and they've gone into California. My question to you is, how do you change that? Well, it's very simple. The way you change the dominance from a few programs when they're taking your talent is to do something that doesn't let them take your talent as much. No one is going to shut off Alabama recruiting. No one's going to shut off Ryan Day. The question is not whether you can completely make them go over in your state. The question is, what would happen if they had a couple less kids that caliber from your state per cycle? That's why guys like Lincoln Riley going to USC or Mario Cristobal going to Miami, or Jimbo being at Texas A&M, Steve Sarkeesian and his staff being at Texas, Billy Napier and the staff he's putting together at Florida. That's why that's the key. While everyone out there, while the casual society of college football is arguing about what an expanded playoff is going to do for parity in this sport, it's not going to do anything for the sport that doesn't first change here. This is how you change it at the root level. You're trying to run the lawnmower over the weed. It doesn't work. This is how you fundamentally change it. You lock down, at least to a greater degree, South Florida. And then if Mario misses on kids, don't let it be to Alabama. Let it be to University of Florida or Florida State. Texas and Texas A&M, to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of concern about. I think one of the programs that has the most to prove right now is Oklahoma. Oklahoma has gone a long way in fortifying this run they've been on from getting guys from the state of Texas. And they've gotten some guys from California too. And that was Lincoln Riley recruiting. Let's see if that continues. You know, the NIL thing, not to mention just a couple of really good recruiting staffs in the state of Texas right now. I think Texas is well on their way. But let me throw you some hypothetical numbers. What if instead of, let's say California. What if California, instead of keeping 40% of their players home, what if they just kept half of them? What if they kept 50%? Now, there's only one truly major recruiter out there right now. All due respect to UCLA, there's only one major recruiting power out there right now, and that's USC. So I understand there is not even enough room for all the four- and five-star talent in California. That's why I'm putting that number at 50%. Let's just hit it 50%. Keep 50% of the in-state four- and five-star talent home. How big a difference does that make? What about the state of Texas? I think Texas is well on their way. What if Texas is keeping 60% of their in-state four- and five-star talent home? I think they're going to hit that number, by the way. In fact, you look at the 2022 cycle, if you're watching on YouTube right now, they were well above 60% last year. And if you, on average, are hitting at that level, 
over, let's say, a four or five year rolling span, you have fundamentally changed the trajectory of this sport for a number of out-of-state programs. What about the state of Florida? This number's abysmal. Down near 40% over the last several years. What if we turn that upside down? What if we just go 60%? What if Florida and Florida State and Miami and UCF, if you want to get involved in the party, that's cool. What if they combine to keep 60% of the in-state four and five-star talent home? You have just totally altered college football if you do that. Alabama's not going to be bad all of a sudden, nor is Ohio State. But boy, while you elevate your programs, it's kind of a twofold reaction. You're elevating your program at the expense of some of those other major programs. This is the key to balancing college football. Has been for a while. I think the state of Florida first and foremost, but then also secondarily, what Lincoln Riley can do in Southern California, and then uh, to a somewhat a lesser extent, because it never was a huge problem, what Jimbo and Steve Sarkeesian are doing in Texas, that's your key. And if you ever want balance here, if you ever want to stop looking at teams like Bama or Georgia or Ohio State any given year in November and asking, boy, how's anyone ever going to beat them? Well, you're asking that now because of the players they're getting from other states. This is how you somewhat slow that down. And at the very least, you have a little more competitive balance at the end of the year. So they're telling you that one way solves it. I'm telling you another way will solve it. And I, I just happen to believe we're right on this. Moving right along, mood tracker time. We're going to Oregon. Also, I got a really good question. So stay tuned for this. At the end of the show, I got a really good question about paying players and whether there actually is money to pay players. Because a lot of folks think that's the direction we're headed. I happen to be one of them. Um, as, of, as of now, the way things currently are situated, no, there may not be. Uh, could the way things are situated right now be a disguise for the way things actually are? Yeah, I think that could also be the case. I'll untangle all that in just a second. Oregon Mood Tracker time. Excellent candidate. The Oregon Ducks, an excellent candidate for the Mood Tracker and everything this is. The Mood Tracker is what we do for every major program, and we do it multiple times a year. We want to take the temperature of the fan base. I was over on DuckTerritory.com earlier today, and I was on the board, and I asked, hey, fill in the blank, guys. My current mood towards Oregon football is what? Got some really good answers, but this is always fluid with every program, but it's especially been fluid with Oregon over the last month and a half, understandably so. There's been a coaching change here. Now, here's what the college football public saw. They saw Mario Cristobal leave, and then they tuned out. But of course, we did not. Oregon fans didn't. We didn't. We saw Dan Lanning get hired, former defensive coordinator, University of Georgia. He's brought in a really high-caliber recruiting staff out there. And we did not do the Oregon Mood Tracker intentionally last month. We wanted to wait because it's never smart to do a Mood Tracker while a program is in coaching transition. Too raw. There's no perspective. So now... We got a little ways under our belts and we're sort of out of that dust storm and things have settled and you've got logic that overtakes emotion, hopefully, eventually. But there were some wild takes in the meantime. I was in some of those Oregon Twitter spaces and uh, former players on there talking about being used by Mario Cristobal. I never understood that, being used. If you got used, then you got nothing out of him. He just took everything from you and that's clearly not the case. So anyway, all that's behind us now. Now we get a true, raw mood tracker from Oregon. The Oregon mood tracker right now is, I would call it, take it back out to see. Because they were out there for a little while. They put together a really solid talent roster, and they were ready to see, out on the open water of college football, how they measured up with the big boys. Well, obviously, you make a coaching change. You bring it into port. And they got banged up along the way a couple of times against the likes of Utah. But 
now you've got your coaching staff in place. It's very important to distinguish here what just happened and what didn't happen at Oregon. What didn't happen is they had to get an entirely new boat. That's not the case. They did not have a portal exodus. Half the roster did not leave. They've got a really, really sound foundation of talent there. I mean, they got a really, really good collection of, of players across multiple position units. They're not just loaded at one spot. So they don't need a new boat. They just needed a new crew. And they got the new crew. Now, a lot of you don't know a lot about these guys. You're looking at, if you're watching on YouTube right now, the new Oregon coaching staff. And we'll have time throughout the spring and summer to detail some of these guys uh, in, in a more granular fashion. But look at the talent roster right now. They got a couple of at least legitimate options at quarterback. Ty Thompson is the guy who's been there a couple of years. Uh, Bo Nix transferred in. But the obvious biggest fear, whether you're inside or outside the program, is that they will not be able to maintain the recruiting run that they had been on. So just talent acquisition won't be there long term. That's the biggest fear. Talent level will drop. But there is a growing sense of internal optimism around the Oregon program. Here's where it really comes from. They're thinking to themselves up there, if, it's a big if, but if recruiting remains comparable to what it had been, under Mario Cristobal. And they got a really good recruiting staff in there, so they've made their intentions clear. If recruiting stays comparable to what it was, what they're thinking to themselves is we may be in a position to upgrade the program. Because see, the dirty little secret that no one wanted to talk about, but now they'll talk about out in the open, is Oregon fans were never crazy about their staff on Saturdays. They loved what they were doing on recruiting trail, but they never thought that they were going into a Saturday about to out-scheme anyone, about to, you know, outthink anyone, outsmart anyone. It's just, that's not, that was not the MO there. Offensively, Oregon was not running circles around anyone. Uh, the, the fan base up there felt at times they underachieved relative to the offensive potential. And you can lay that in a million different folks' feet. But whatever the case is, broad strokes purposes, Oregon fans are looking and saying, hold on, if we've got a good recruiting staff, which we do, and we maintain roughly the same caliber of recruiting, we may have some guys here that offer us the ability to net upgrade the program. And who would have expected that nationally? And that's where some of the optimism's coming from because they got some good coaches up there. We've got really good recruiters. The whole mystery is exactly how will they be? Dan Lanning's never been a head coach before. What does that mean? I don't know. They're about to find out. They were willing to roll the dice with him though. I'll tell you that. And there were some other folks who would have wanted that job and they were willing to roll the dice and go with Dan Lanning. Now, there's this other kind of subcurrent that I think is a waste of time entirely. And there's another subcurrent that says, well, why should we buy into this? Because maybe if Dan Lanning achieves at a high level, we're just going to be waiting for the inevitable. And that's him leaving us for a better job. Mario Cristobal left you under pretty unique circumstances. I mean, it was his alma mater. I didn't think he was going to leave, but he left. But the point is, it took something pretty unique. Oregon is pretty unique. And that's why it took something pretty unique to pull him away from there. I don't have, in fact, I think it's dumb to have those fears. It's always there outside of a few examples, like Kirby Smart's not going to leave Georgia. Uh, Nick Saban's not going to leave Alabama. Outside of that, I mean, Brian Kelly just left Notre Dame for LSU. So pretty much anything's on the table. How big a waste of time is it going to bed every night worrying about that? No, you, you hopefully have a situation there where it's going to be too good for them to leave. Make it that way. But look, if you don't make it that way, Cristobal just left you better than you were when he found you, when he got there. If Dan Lanning does the same, great. 
then you go find another guy. And eventually you find the guy that stays around 10 to 15 years and totally immerses himself in Oregon and vice versa. And he's a legend for the next 50 years. But there is some optimism up there that is not being felt nationally right now. All people know uh, is that Mario left and half of them don't even know who the new head coach up there is. Well, that's okay. That's okay. A lot of coaches that have gone on to have success that people didn't immediately take notice of. Dan Lanning could just be the next in that line. Uh, I wanted to get to this question before we log out here tonight. Appreciate you guys being logged in, by the way, with us. Make sure you subscribe to the channel while you're here. It's free. And we don't really, we don't spam you or anything. Just subscribe and it helps us out. And like the video while you're here. So I got a question that I wanted to address. Got this, uh, I can't remember when this came in. Irrelevant. We'll read the question. Here's a question from Stevie. He said, for people who say paying players is inevitable, where does that money come from? I don't know for sure, but don't most athletic departments barely break even as it is? Hashtag late kick and paid state. You know what? New rule around here. If you want your question answered, throw that hash, throw that paid state hashtag or that late kick hashtag out there. Probably make it a lot easier for Jesse and company to find them too. Hey, this is a good question though. There are a lot of layers to this question, whether you realize it or not. So let's break down the camps. This is an age old argument. Should players be paid or not? And we're not talking NIL here. To be clear, he is talking about players being paid based on the money that universities are making off of everything from merchandise sales to gate receipts to TV money and everything in between. And you've got one camp that says, no, the scholarship's enough. Uh, they're, they're getting a whole lot more from that school than the school is from them unless they're a true superstar player. And then you've got another camp that says, you wouldn't be cashing those checks if it weren't for the free labor on the field on Saturdays doing the work for you while you sit in the skybox in a sweater vest. We understand that. We're not here to rehash this. No one's really changing their mind on that. But what Stevie asked is, okay, let's say we do want to pay the players. Well, if I'm looking at our P&L sheet here, our profit and losses sheet, and it says that we're barely in the black, or in some cases we're in the red, where's the money coming from? This is where a little bit more nuanced discussion has to be had. It's not a discussion I like because I do not like wading into these waters because of the implications. But I do know what the truth is, and I will share with you the truth. If I were, for example, let's say an ultra successful businessman in the Northeast, and I didn't like the tax structure in my state, I could hide a lot of my assets. I could hide them anywhere from Switzerland to the Caymans and everywhere in between. There are ways, in other words, to get around that. If I had a sailboat and I didn't want to pay a premium tax on it, I just parked that thing in Florida. Well, similarly, believe it or not, in major college athletics, there are also ways to hide this huge pile of money that is on the table right now. Because here's what I can't have. If I'm an administrator and I got this huge mountain of cash on the table, I know if I report this on a piece of paper and people see that I got that much money in my coffers, it's going to make me look really bad if I'm not paying these players. And so I got to go and put this money somewhere. And in the world of college athletics, there are two very convenient places that you can put it. It's not Switzerland. It's not the Caymans. It's called facilities and it's called coaching salaries. Have you noticed how both have exploded over the past decade or so? Have you noticed everything from waterfalls to slides and everything in between? Look at the facilities, how immaculate they are. Look at how high these coaching salaries are. You've got coordinators making more than all but a few head coaches used to make. Now, 
I'm of the opinion that those coaching salaries are warranted. But regardless of what I think for a second, there's a reason they're so high. And it's not strictly because a bunch of administrators think those coaches, those grizzled veterans, they've just earned every one of these pennies we're paying them. They got to get rid of the money. They got to pour it somewhere. And they got to do it so that they can reasonably look at you at the end of the day and say, how in the world are we going to pay these guys? We're barely getting by as it is. It's always been wink and nod understood behind the scenes. Uh, the situation financially is not nearly as dire as it's made to look sometimes on the good old fashioned budgetary sheet they pass out to you. It's just that the money is placed in places where we know that really those are still our assets. We can get that back anytime we need to. Uh, but also, even if that is the case, you got another problem. If you're of the opinion that you don't want to pay the players, you got another problem. In the future, whether I like it or not, there is coming on the horizon multiple reworked TV deals up to and including, in all likelihood, a very expanded playoff that's going to pour nine figures extra into the sport every year to be divvied up. A vast majority of that is going to go to the high-profile conferences to be divvied up amongst high-profile programs. And sit, then you're going to have any more, even more money on the table. You can't spend it all. You can't get rid of it all. And so that's why, for several reasons, this being one of them, a lot of us think there's probably coming a day where some form of employment is given to those players. Now, I know that makes a lot of you sick, but if you think about what the alternatives are right now, and you think about the Wild West nature and what's able to happen in the transfer portal, and guys just freely moving back and forth, paying really no penalty, paying even less penalty than coaches do. If you think about it from a contractual standpoint, when they move back and forth, there are a lot of folks who think, okay, we can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. What can we do moving forward? Well, we can't legislate anything on these guys if they're not employees. How do we label them as employees? What kind of bridge, or in some cases a Rubicon, do you have to cross that provides some sort of control and check and balance back in this thing that we've let get out of control? Well, the answer probably is that. And I'll tell you what that also coincides with. That coincides with revenue sharing between conferences or universities, whatever the case may be, and players. And so that is coming down the road. And the answer to Stevie's question from where it will come from, it could already be done now if they wanted to or they were forced to. And it especially will be able to be done once you up that financial intake from new or reworked television deals. So Stevie, don't you worry. If it's payment that you want for those players, the last thing in the world you need to worry about is whether the finances are going to be available. Good show tonight. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, remember what I said. The Twitter Spaces idea is a go. I got all good feedback about it. And the fun thing about this is we're going to be able to interact you know, with other notable figures out there, shall we say. And we can do it on a moment's notice. We don't even have to give a heads up. Just it's a go. So make sure you're following at Lake Kick Josh on Twitter or Instagram. You guys can be involved in that. I mean, it's a great concept. It's kind of like a, a call-in radio show. It's, it's just wonderful. But it's on a social media app instead. All right, we got to get out of here. Got a lot to do still tonight. For direct Colin, for producer Jesse, uh, for producer Jordan on the podcast side of things. Not to forget our little angel, producer Jordan, and all of our production executives behind this here wall. I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week. Thanks for watching, and God bless. You.